electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Lee and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dobby, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, stocks closing in on new all-time highs. But if you missed out on this rally, the chart master has three names that could be ultimate catch-up trades. Plus, turning trash into cash, the big deal that sent Nikola shares soaring today. Nikola's executive chairman, Trevor Milton, will join us. And it's Weed Week here on Fast Money. We're kicking off our week-long series on the cannabis craze with a look at the big risks and the big opportunities in this budding industry. But we start off with big tech taking a big breather. The Nasdaq pulling away from all-time highs. Apple, the only one of the five big stocks posting a gain today. But while big tech tumbled, the rest of the market inched closer to record levels. The S&P 500 now less than a percent away from a new all-time high. Energy and industrials leading the way today. So is today's market action a sign that this so-called great rotation is in fact in place? Guy. Would appear that way, and happy Monday. And you know, I took French in high school, and this move was, as we used to say in high school, incredible, like that. Uh, incredible, but incredible. you know, we, we get what that's you're what, saying. That's what, that's what I said. Well, I didn't take it in college. At any rate, uh, it's been a pretty. And kudos to Tim and Karen. You know, they've been talking about the transports for a while, but you know, in terms of some of these stocks, and look at the move in Caterpillar today. And a few weeks ago, uh, you played the game Trader to Fade It with Karen, and Boeing was the name when it was 195. She correctly said to fade it, and we talked about how it would trade down to sort of 160 or so. And that's how it played out. It actually overshot down to 154, but look at it today, approaching 180. So I think this is a healthy thing. Uh, I think those NASDAQ names had to cool off, and the fact that these industrials, deep cyclicals, and even some of these banks are starting to move, I think it's pretty encouraging at these levels. Karen, you've been talking about this rotation for a while, and it's interesting because you actually said that the, that the risk to the market is finding a vaccine sooner, and, and it's that risk that would actually make this rotation even stronger. Right. Well, you know, we've seen this happen a couple of times, and it's sort of there have been false starts, but we're starting to see data that, while it's not good, um, in terms of Florida and Texas and California, it's better. So the rate of change is improving. So that's, that's something I think the market wants to sort of grab onto that. And then obviously the hope of a vaccine. And so I think this rotation, I mean, you know, we saw the mother of all work from home stocks, Zoom, which uh, was down today. And so the, the names like a Square and a PayPal and those kind of names all weaker along with those big, the big fangs or, or Dan's MAGA all weaker. And then that rotation, which, you know, retail was really good, and that's unusual. Um, banks actually weren't as good as I had hoped. I mean, it was a nice little bounce, but they have so far to go as a catch-up trade. I, I think there's more to go there. And then Guy touched on, you know, the FedEx and uh, UPS. I mean, there was a big upgrade today in FedEx, but that stock is up well over, well over 100% from the bottom, which is kind of crazy. So I, I'm long FedEx, but I think this, this move, this last two days, which is about uh, maybe almost 30 points, mm-hmm. is probably a little bit overdone. 
And the airlines today, obviously, up huge as well. That one, I wouldn't jump on that bandwagon. I'm staying on FedEx, even though I think it's sort of getting a little bit rich. But I'm still afraid for the airlines that the valuations still, when you include all that debt, are the risk-reward isn't so compelling to me. So I like the rotation that we've seen. But uh, I think for some of these, there's, there's more to come. For FedEx and UPS specifically, though, there was news. Uh, and Tim, you've been hot on the CPS trade in terms of aggressive pricing, a pricing because the pandemic is causing everything to move uh, through FedEx and UPS effectively. And they're going to say, you know what, we're going to charge holiday rates for this, for this. And that really adds to the fundamentals. I mean, it doesn't seem to be just this broader rotation pushing these stocks higher. I guess the question is, to what point, at what point does, does this start uh, getting expensive? Well, I think there's still plenty of room to, to run on, on the shippers. And, and you're talking about the, the mix also that was more of a retail mix that people thought was going to be negative for UPS. And we actually saw that that B2C mix is actually working in their favor. Uh, if you look at you know, this, where has this rotation been? Uh, you know, we're talking, is it, the, is it on again? This rotation has, to me, been pretty clear since mid-May. And, and there have been, you know, some steps back along the way, but it's largely been two steps forward. And, and if you look at the industrials, they've outperformed the Nasdaq um, during that point. And when you when you look at some of these numbers and FedEx is, as Karen pointed out, had extreme numbers. It's out, you know, it's outperformed by about 53 percent since that same period. Uh, but it, if you just look overall at, at, at some of these moves, having come with this Think, think of the earnings we had in, in the, the top of the food chain of, of the NASDAQ two weeks ago, uh, and yet you're seeing this outperformance. If you look at the XRT against the S&P or against the NASDAQ, uh, and it's outperformed for a long time. And again, retail was supposed to have been dead uh, if you're measuring that by the XRT. So these rallies, I don't think, just started overnight. And we've spent a lot of time talking about that, that bridge, that divide, that chasm between growth and, and value. Um, how excited do you get about it? Well, you know, ultimately, hard to get really excited, except for the fact that uh, I think, if anything, the multiples should be getting pulled up by what's going on in the rest of the market, not pushed down. With PMIs having only bottomed, in, in my view, um, I think you can stay here. Dan? Yeah, I mean, the multiples have pulled up I and mean, we're expecting, you know, considerable year over year earnings declines for this year. Um, next year will be up year over year, but we're still going to be well below 2019. We probably don't get to S&P peak earnings um, until, you know, 2022 or something like that. So when you think back to 2019, where the S&P 500 appreciated 30 percent with no uh, earnings growth, this year we have uh, material earnings declines. You know, you have a very, very expensive market on most every metric you can think of. And, you know, when you think about the NASDAQ here, these guys talked about how good those results are. Tim just mentioned how good the results of the MAGA names, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon. Um, they've obviously done a ton, a ton of heavy lifting. You know, Apple is the one that's really curious to me here. The NASDAQ 100 felt like it was really going to get sloppy this morning, but Apple is like levitating here at $450. People are excited about a four for one stock split. What is this, like 1999 people? Come on. Like, seriously, I, I don't really get it. This stock is literally hovering just below $2 trillion in market cap, up almost a trillion dollars in market cap from its March lows. And this is the thing that's keeping the NASDAQ 100 together right now. And listen, the, uh, the, the rotation that these guys are talking about in retail, in industrials, in small caps, in bank stocks, um, even in energy is nothing short of impressive with the S&P 500 just below those all-time highs. So you would like to see this sort of action if you think that the S&P is building for a breakout because it's not going to be mega cap tech that breaks the S&P 500 out here when you consider how 
how they performed and the inability for the S&P 500 to break out here. So maybe the best thing for S&P bulls right now is that you continue to see this rotation and you continue to see the market trade in a range. And then when you get the news on the economy that's based on therapies or based on vaccines, that's when you have the S&P finally break out. At the same time, can you make the argument that within this value rotation, Karen, there are certain big cap tech stocks that fall into this category. And, and I'm going to just throw it out there. I mean, Dan had specifically mentioned Apple, but maybe the, the most recent earnings report uh, tells you that that perhaps Apple needs to be re-rated. And so right now is a value stock and falls into that category. And so is seeing the benefits of a rotation, even though it's lumped in uh, into the, the big cap tech monolith. Well, I guess relative to some of the other, I mean, it's still... Uh, the PE relative to an Amazon or something, of course, it's vastly cheaper. But to me, the cheapest one of all is Facebook. And I, I, it's not just a relative cheap. I mean, to me, it is cheap to the, to the much broader S&P market. So I, I think even, you know, for me right now, I feel like the biggest uh, threat to my Facebook position is a rotation away from these kind of names. And that's okay. I'll wait. I mean, that business is so extraordinary. Those numbers were so good. I think even, I mean, Apple's numbers were really impressive as well, but we always struggle with that multiple. Is it a hardware company? What kind of multiple should it have on that part of the business versus the services company? I get that it's, you know, um, a blended one that's, that's moving in the right direction, but it still ste- seems more expensive to me than Facebook. But I'm long Facebook, Apple, Google, Microsoft. All of them. If there's a rotation out, that part of my portfolio is going to hurt. All right. Our next guest is telling his clients to brace for a pullback. And he warns the Nasdaq could drop 10% in the coming months. Let's bring in Julian Emanuel, chief equity and derivative strategist at BTIG. Julian, great to see you. What's going to trigger uh, this correction in the Nasdaq? Uh, there are a number of things. First off, you know, we've gotten a lot of questions over the last week or two. Is this a bubble? Is this not a bubble? Um, what I would first say is valuation-wise, it is not a bubble. And when you look at the NASDAQ and you look at FANG in particular, what you see uh, is the kind of earnings growth and momentum and obviously free cash flow that would lead you to indicate that it isn't a bubble. Um, but, however, what you've got now is a record concentration in five names. And if you look at today, the NASDAQ 5 was really the NASDAQ 1. But at 23% of the weight of the S&P 500 index, when momentum in those names has clearly slowed, uh, we do think that uh, essentially continued tension with China is the most likely catalyst uh, for uh, a pullback in, in those names. Yeah, Julian, I know this is NASDAQ specific, but, you know, in terms of the S&P 500, you say it's not a bubble. I, obviously, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But one thing I would point out in terms of uh, market cap to GDP, you're talking about the S&P 500 somewhere between now 165, 170 uh, percent to GDP. And the numerator continues to go higher and the denominator, which is GDP, continues to go lower. How sustainable is that? Because... Uh, that's the one thing that the Warren, that Warren Buffett looks at as his indication of where the market is. Well, Guy, there's no question that that is a concern. And obviously, when you think about the sort of the economic backdrop, it makes it even more important that the reopening of the economy that we're expecting in the fall and going into early next year is a success. And clearly, a lot of the stocks and, and particularly uh, in recent days, the value names are starting to reflect 
the the greater probability of that as a success. I think that is is still to be seen, and I think uh, obviously one of the issues uh, surrounding all of these questions is where stimulus negotiations go. Uh, from our point of view, the the belief that people had a week ago that you were going to get a package uh, before the September jobs report on the fourth of September of a trillion to a trillion and a half. From our point of view, we think that that the market still believes that, and we'll just have to see. But again. Uh, the threat to the economy, uh, to the downside, certainly does stress that relationship. Hey, Julian, it's Tim. Uh, you know, when we were younger men, yes, that's right. Uh, we, you and I both invested a, a lot in, in the commodity space and the resources space and emerging markets. Uh, if anything, we're starting to see some pronounced uh, breaking out of some of those resource stocks, uh, industrial names that have a lot of global uh, commodity exposure. Some of this is dollar-based. Some of this are PMIs are getting better. Some of this is that stimulus that is in the other parts of the world. What do you do with this trade? Because I feel like we've seen this movie before, and, and it's a pretty good movie. So I think you hold on to it for the long term, um, because ultimately uh, a weaker dollar is part and parcel of a recovering global economy. However, what I would say is that particularly as surrounds uh, the stimulus negotiations, there is this sort of idea that politicians, surprisingly, don't want to spend infinitely. And obviously, that's a lot of the pushback of the last several days. And so from our point of view, when you look at record bearish positioning in the dollar, we do think you get a dollar reflex rally. Um, and we don't think it's any coincidence that the dollar was stronger today uh, at the same time, the Nasdaq, one of the bigger momentum trades, was weaker and gold itself was really choppy. Uh, but long term, you want to stay with that theme. Julian, how much longer in your view? I mean, it sounds like not much longer in your view, but, uh, you know, there's this notion that there is no alternative. And, and Karen has mentioned this uh, regarding her own portfolio. Um, but basically, if you're saying that there's going to be a pullback and and you're recommending that people brace for this, we're basically saying that that the liquidity train of the Fed can't keep this market going higher. Is that your belief? That, that, that's, that's correct, Melissa. Basically, if you think about what the Fed has done, they have basically engineered liquidity. But to move from liquidity to solvency, which is basically requires uh, an economic rebound that really is only showing tentative signs of occurring right now, that's the story for, um, you know, how the economy is hopefully going to unfold in the next year. And that's what keeps stocks moving forward. But the Fed, the Fed hasn't run out of bullets. It's just the effectiveness of those bullets mm -hmm. is likely diminishing while we wait for the economy to turn higher. All right, Julian, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Julian Emanuel. Well, if you missed the march back toward uh, all-time highs, fear not. The Chartmaster is here with three names that could be ultimate catch-up trades. So let's get straight to Cornerstone Macros. Carter Braxton Worth. Carter, what are you looking at? You bet. Well, I mean, I have three stocks, but here's the thing. Each of them is up 100% off the march low. That's double the S&P. So are they laggards or are they leaders? It all depends on what your time frame is. Let's start with a few charts. The first is Haynes Brands, right? Underwear, T-shirts. Take a look at the chart. It's a long-term established downtrend. And then, again, this stock was seven in its low. It's now almost 16. It's trouncing the S&P. But of course it's a laggard because if you're down 30% still over a two-year basis and the market's back to 
are close to all-time highs, you're lagging. And so this is the kind of thing we're looking for, something that is behaved very aggressively, but most importantly is broken above the downtrend line in effect for the past two to three years. Look at the next one, DuPont. It's the exact same circumstance. In fact, the exact same move off the low. DuPont was essentially 28. Here it is at 58, 100% move, twice the performance of the S&P. Is it a leader? Well, it is for the bounce, but it's a laggard. If you're still down 30, 40% over a two, three-year period, this is what a catch-up trade can look like. And just now breaking above the downtrend. Final one, look at STLD, uh, a steel stock. It's the exact same circumstance again. And there are many like this. The key is that they're laggards because they're down still 30 and 40 plus percent from their highs of two, three years ago. But their day-to-day and since the March low performance is aggressive. And each one of these was very big today relative to the market. The third, well, fourth chart, it's a comparative chart. So take a look at all three. I mean, they look, look like railroad tracks. I didn't overlay it. I didn't manipulate it. It is what it is. And they have nothing to do with one another. One could say, well, DuPont Steel do. They're cyclical. It's not about that. I could throw certain tech names in here as well. And then the final chart, it's the same comparative chart of these three stocks, but shows, of course, the S&P 500. So here on a two-year basis, these are tremendous laggards that are killing the market since the March low and are killing the market today. More to come, I think, to the upside for each of these, and there are others. Carter, thank you, as always. Carter Braxtonworth of Cornerstone Macro. Guy Dami, which of these three do you like? You know. I mean, you know because you're in my head. Haynes you know. Brand. It's Haynes Brands. Haynes Brands. HBI. Of course it is. Yeah, of course. And by the way, Carter, we're a lot of talk about Mount Rushmore. Why, of course. is on the Mount Rushmore uh, technicians. Why? Because it's, of course, Tim. That's why, because you're a steel dynamics guy. Yes. And Karen and Dan can whack up DuPont. You, but quickly about Hayes right. Brand. Go back you and look me. at that quarter. Their operating margins came in at 17.4%. I mentioned that because the street was looking at operating margins of about 3.5%. They crushed it, which means analysts are going to have to raise their price targets. Bank of America recently upgraded the stock to neutral from underperform. They're probably going to have to upgrade it again. And I think to Carter's point, despite the fact that it's moved significantly, there's more room to the upside. All right. Coming up, a major ride share ruling. We'll tell you what's got shares of Lyft and Uber on the move in the after-hour session. Plus, Kodak shutters. The stock plunging today as a massive government loan is put on pause. We've got the full details when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a market flash on Bed Bath & Beyond. Let's get to Frank Collin for that. Frank. Hey, Melissa. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond falling more than 3.5% after the company said it will resume its plans to, redu- to reduce its debt. The company had previously suspended those debt reduction plans because of the pandemic and now says it will buy up to $300 million of certain outstanding senior notes. The tender office offers have been put in place today. It says those tender offers will expire on September 4th. Again, Bed Bath & Beyond saying it will resume its plan to reduce its debt starting today and has plans to buy up to $300 million of certain outstanding senior notes. Shares falling about 3.5% after hours. Back over to you. Frank, thanks. Frank Holland. Karen, what do you make of this news? Uh, that actually sounds like sort of a good thing to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there was something more to it that, that, I mean, that they feel like they're in a capital position to be able to buy back their debt, which must be, you know, expensive in that the yield is high and they can feel like they can do it. I think that sounds like a positive. All right, we'll keep watching the stock after hours. Meantime, we are following a developing story on Uber and Lyft. Both stocks are on the move following a California court ruling. Deidre Bose has got the very latest. Deidre. Melissa, the court's ruling is stayed for 10 days to allow Uber and Lyft to appeal, but it would force the ride-sharing companies to immediately reclassify their drivers as employees in California. In a statement, Uber says, quote, when over 3 million Californians are without a job, our elected leaders should be focused on creating work, not trying to shut down an entire industry during an economic depression. Lyft, for its part, said, quote, Drivers do not want to be employees. Full stop. We'll immediately appeal this ruling and continue to fight for their independence. Now, if the appeal is not granted or there's no further stay, there is a chance, Melissa, that Uber and Lyft could shut down their apps entirely in California. Uber, keep in mind, has over 100,000 drivers in the state and bringing them on as employees, I'm told, would be nearly impossible. Uh, Now, the other option is that they continue to operate and risk more legal liability. As you were saying, shares of Uber and Lyft, they're down about one and a half and two and a half percent, respectively, in the after hours. Investors, they do know very well that regulatory pressures had been building. But as I said, Melissa, this was a key battle in one of the most one of their most important markets. And it comes as other states from New York to Illinois to Massachusetts are looking at similar legislation. And to be clear, this doesn't just affect ride-sharing. Uber is pivoting towards food delivery. The classification of those drivers are also at stake here. Back to you. Deidre, thanks. Deidre Bosa. Dan, you know, I I would think that the stocks would be down even more if this was seen as a true threat to the business, particularly for Uber. Yeah, I think Debo said it. I mean, the expectation was this outcome here. We know that Dara, the Uber CEO, was out in the New York Times penning an op-ed, um, making a lot of the points that, that uh, Deirdre just mentioned here. Um, there isn't a whole heck of a lot of evidence that a lot of these workers actually want to be full-time employees. They actually yeah. like driving for Lyft and Uber, maybe doing a little Postmates, a little caviar here. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'll just mention this with Lyft, you know, um, you know, they're going to report in a couple of days after the close. You know, after we saw Uber's 75 percent year over year decline in ride bookings, you know, this is going to be a really important one for Lyft. They're only North American ride share. That's why this issue in California is probably more significant um, to them. But I'll just mention this at a seven and a half billion dollar enterprise value. Lyft is way too cheap of an asset, even with all the losses that they have right now. Ride sharing, whether these gig economy workers or employees or not, is here to stay. And if Google wants Fitbit for $2 billion for their data, somebody certainly wants Lyft. Yeah, I would also think that these drivers in, during a time of pandemic want a job, whether it be classified as a contractor or a full-time employee. Um, I'm sure they're not that picky at this point, Tim. 
I, I, I think there's a lot of folks that enjoy being an independent contractor. It gives them a lot of flexibility, not only with how they live their days and how they deal with their families and, and, and what they you know, can do, but also from a tax perspective. And I, so I agree with what Dan is saying. I think there's, and there's a lot of these guys that work for multiple uh, rideshare companies uh, and would also agree that I've said this before. If you want to hail a cab in a major urban center now, good luck. It's not happening. And rideshare is here. There's arguments that this did not do good things for pricing for people all around the country. But but the reality is I like I don't love Uber here, but I look at the chart. And yes, they've had about a 15, a little 12, 13 percent pullback since their numbers. But at the bottom here of this range, they've been in around 33 bucks. This is a stock that takes you back to a level where I think it's it's found support and you've priced in a lot of bad news. This Postmates acquisition gives them 37 percent uh, essentially of delivery of, of the food business. And I think it's something that ultimately allows them to leverage their platform. Don't love the stock, but there's a lot of bad news in here. And I think most of that bad news has been priced in. All right. Coming up, one man's trash is another man's treasure. The big deal that's on shares of Nikola soaring today. The company's founder will join us straight ahead. And later, we're kicking off our week-long series on the cannabis craze. We'll break down the big risks and the big opportunities in this budding industry. Much more Fast Money after this quick break. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Nikola surging today. The company inking a deal with waste management giant Republic Services to provide 2,500 electric garbage trucks. Joining us now is Nikola's executive chairman and founder, Trevor Milton. Trevor, welcome back to the show. Great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. You tweeted earlier today that uh, this is a, a, co- a contract that is worth one to two billion dollars and is non-binding. What exactly does that mean and how do you come up with a one to two billion dollar figure? Uh, it is binding, actually. It's a, a, binding, it's a fully mm-hmm. yeah. It's a fully executed contract. It's worth about between about one and two billion dollars. Um, they have the right, or they're obligated to buy up to twenty five hundred of these um, electric trash trucks, and they have the option to go up to five thousand. So it really depends on how many they end up picking up. But ultimately, the agreement is for at least a minimum of twenty five hundred trucks, which is a, a biggest order in history for EV. So it's a minimum of 2,500 uh, trucks. And the value of the contract is $1 to $2 billion. How much is Republic actually paying for these trucks? 
Um, the, it really depends. I mean, our goal is under $500,000 a piece. That important thing to know is in the, in the trash industry is you have a chassis, you have a powertrain, you have the big compactor. That's for all three combined, which is what Nikola is doing for the first time in the refuse industry, is we're, we're providing a completed vehicle to Republic where they don't have to go to three different people for three different things. So it's everything all into one. So in terms of what they're paying, that we don't, we don't really know that figure yet? It'll be under $500,000. Um, we don't have the exact number yet. Um, it's, uh, it depends on options. We're working together to finalize the options on that truck. Mm-hmm. I would imagine in the next um, you know, six months or so, we should have a final number on that. But it's going to be within a few percent. That's why I said below $500,000, because that's what the electric trash trucks on the market are going for right now. And this is the first time they've ever been mass produced. One, one interesting thing to know about this, though, is this uses our Nikola Trade platform from Europe. So we, we developed a fully electric Class 8 truck that's called the Nikola Tray. That same exact platform is going on, the, on this trash truck. So the good news is it doesn't require any new development. It's just an awesome new contract for the Nikola. You know, the way the Republic is billing this is, is as a partnership, Trevor. And so I'm, I'm wondering what role Republic will play in this and why is it considered a contract, I mean, a, a partnership instead of just an outright purchase of vehicles? Yeah, it's a good question. The, the main reason why is because in the refuse industry right now, or the waste industry, they call it, um, you, currently have a, you currently have a chassis, you have a body, the compactor, and then you have the powertrain. They come from three different people right now, um, separately around, around the country. And it's a huge problem because everyone points fingers at each other for all the problems. And this is the first time it's all come in from one where we're going to provide all of it straight from Nikola. The partnership is, is they're going to help us integrate the, the correct body into the chassis with the powertrain, make sure the cab is perfect for the drivers. All the controls are perfect. You know, it's really about for the first time delivering a truck completely done. That's not just cobbled together from all these different um, suppliers, which is what everyone does right now. Uh, you're expected to begin full production uh, and deliveries in 2023. Do you have enough cash on your balance sheet for that kind of production ramp? Uh, yeah, we're doing pretty good. We've got over $900 million, uh, cash in our account right now. That We have $200 million a year being spent on our factory here in Coolidge, Arizona. And the rest is going towards the vehicle platforms. So we do have enough cash, but we're, you know, as we said in our filings, we are going to go out to the market one day for for additional revenue. But that's all, I mean, I'm sorry, additional uh, funding. But that's ultimately once we've achieved certain benchmarks where the market's very, very solid and willing to back us in that in in that regard. But we're doing pretty good right now. Okay, nine hundred million dollars on the balance sheet. Trevor, I want to ask you about the most recent quarterly results. Um, There was an article in the FT that the next day pointing out that within the filing, and this is, of course, in the filing made with the SEC, your 10Q, um, that thirty six thousand dollars of your revenue in total was directly from the installation of solar uh, of solar, the services provided, um, and, and it was installations for you uh, as executive yeah. chairman. And, and I'm wondering, well, it must be a nice installation that you have at your home, <laughs> for one. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 you know, when is, is this, I didn't even realize that, that this energy business was, was anything, a contributor at all to your, to your company. Do you, do you foresee that um, still helping in the future? Well, it's not really helping anything. Well, I mean, we're a, we're we're pre revenue. Now it is. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, your only pre- revenue right now. Yeah, but we're pre revenue, and everyone knew the first year of our existence in the public market would be pre revenue. I I have a I want my home to be on zero emissions, so I called my my our solar guys and said, look, put this stuff on my house. I had to pay full retail for it. 
put it all in my house. I want to go zero emission. I don't want any, I don't want to be using the, um, you know, the, the energy from the grid if I don't have to. So they came in and they put it on. I have to log it cause it's a, it's a related party transaction, but ultimately the, the thing is that solar division within Nikola exists because it helps build our hydrogen stations. So these guys are, there's a, it's not a very big team, but they handle everything for our hydrogen stations. And I had them put it up on my house too. But the best way to look at it is zero revenue because we are a pre-revenue company, but we're starting Trevor, next year in full production. So, Trevor, congratulations on this RSG deal. That's fantastic. I want to take you back to July 17th. It was a Friday. It was a little after five o'clock, and obviously your stock saw a pretty precipitous drop. It was an expected registration um, from your company, but the market perceived it as a 24 million share secondary, and there was some confusion. I'm not suggesting we added to it, didn't, but I know for a fact that the stock traded lower before we started talking about it. So there was some uh, misconception. My question to you is, could you have done, could the company have done a better job telegraphing what come, came out late on a Friday afternoon in the summer. Yeah, look, I've learned a lot of lessons, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to run a publicly traded company. You don't know how the market's going to take things. You assume ultimately that people would be following it well enough that they would, that they would know, but it's, that's our responsibility to communicate better. So I've told my team now, I said, look, you're, you're not putting any filings out now without telling me what it is so I can explain it to the, to the market. And it, it really, it was just really, it was only uh, the, the warrants in what the pipe had already bought. So it was not a new issuance, but the market thought it was. But it's no one's fault, but but really mine. I mean, I've got to, it's my job to explain it. And uh, it's really my fault for that. Trevor, we hope you'll join us sometime soon uh, to keep us updated on, on Nikola. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Trevor Milton. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Great day today. Chairman. I appreciate it. Yep. Of, of Nikola. Karen, what do you make of this business? I mean, they are getting orders in. They had an order before for, you know, from Anheuser-Busch. This is another one from Republic. Um, but again, pre-revenue. Mm-hmm. Pre-revenue, but I mean, they're giving us sort of a, you know, I guess sort of a treasure map to follow of, of you know, so if, if this is a one to two billion dollar deal, I mean, that's impressive. I, I, I would think that they're probably working on others as well. And, I mean, we've seen from Tesla the market gives credit for revenue well before it gives credit for, um, for cash flow and earnings. I just want to say one thing. I loved his answer to Guy's question. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty straightforward, and he said it was his fault. That's, that's, I think that's a pretty good answer. Um, so, I don't know. I'm actually impressed with this deal. Good for them. I'm interested to see what else they come out with. Clearly, in valuation, it's not my kind of thing. Yep. Coming up, overexposed. Kodak shares plunging on news its huge government loan is in jeopardy. The full details ahead. And later, Twitter. Joining the TikTok party is another possible suitor. We'll bring you the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Eastman Kodak shares plunging 30% today. The White House saying it will not proceed with a $765 million federal loan to help the company start manufacturing uh, ingredients for generic drugs unless executives are cleared from allegations of insider trading. Loyal Fast Money viewers know we have been all over the story from the very start. Shares of Kodak started rising before official news of a deal broke almost two weeks ago. At one point, Kodak shares were up nearly 2,200 percent. The stock has since come crashing back down, but it's still trading about five times above where it was before the loan deal 
was first announced. There are a number of things that we pointed out the day of the news, including the size of the transaction guy, seven times the company's market cap prior to the unusual trading, the unusual trading spikes the day before the deal was announced, also a month before the, the day was announced, by the order of magnitude of, of at least 10 times. Um, what, do you, what do you make of this story? Because this was a very popular stock on Robinhood. People got caught up in the seesaw, in the whipsaw of this trade. Yeah, and I hope we weren't part of that um, people getting caught up because we tried to speak truth to what appeared to be just complete nonsense in terms of what was going on. Again, just to bring you back, the amount of volume that traded the day prior to this being announced was astronomical in terms of a stock that we never talked about for a myriad of reasons, not least of which it didn't get us to the threshold of a market cap that we typically talk about with companies because I think, you know, we, we try not to talk about things that are less than $500 million worth of market cap. And Kodak hadn't been that for years, and it hadn't been relevant, relevant for years. So for all of us on the desk those, that day and the ensuing days, it didn't pass the sniff te- test for us, and the optics were horrible. And I'll say this, as I've said before, I think this story gets worse before it gets better. Um, this is not going away, and I don't know what that means for the share price at all. I'm not making a a buy call or a sell call one way or another. But what I am saying is um, the headlines are going to continue to come out in this name without question as the summer continues. Yeah. Tim? I I mean, just follow the the stock chart. Look at the volume. Look at the day of the announcement and look at the day before. I mean, you know, none of this smells good. Um, think about a company that has struggled to reinvent itself since the 2012 bankruptcy, uh, a foray into crypto madness. And, and think about all the companies in the United States who right now uh, are in the business of providing some of the core non-biological pharma input uh, materials that, that actually at least were part of this loan between the DFC and the DPA new act. And you know, it's just it's hard to understand why Eastman Kodak well, if, if that's even what they're still, I mean, it is, it's Kodak, but, you know, Eastman. And it's like why this former uh, iconic American brand that hadn't been such for years and years um, was chosen as the one to get it. But again, it's the option activity. Uh, it's, it's the options that were granted the day before a, a, a big release. It's the options that were granted and shielded uh, from the executive chairman. And it's just, there's, there's a lot of, of, uh, uh, in transparency here, there's a lot of things that don't make sense in terms of the fundamentals. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we've seen a lot of companies like this during this run of the market. Yep. Coming up, the cannabis craze. We're kicking off our week-long series on the marijuana industry and a big earnings day for the pot stocks. Tilray falling after reporting results moments ago. While Canopy soared today on its own report before the bell, we'll give you the lowdown in the state of the cannabis industry. And as we head to break, a quick reminder that it's not too late to register for Wednesday's CNBC Small Business Playbook Virtual Summit. Join power players like Cheryl Sandberg, Margaret Anadu, and Kevin O'Leary. It is all about providing small business owners the resources needed to survive today's crisis and mapping out a path forward to thrive tomorrow. Go to CNBCEvents.com to register. Fast Money be right back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Call it a tale of two pot stocks. You're looking at shares of Tilray falling after the bell on an earnings miss. Complete opposite of Canopy, which reported this morning. That stock soaring today after the cannabis company reported better than expected results here. And with that, with these two earnings reports, we wanted to kick off a very special week on Fast Money. 
Weed Week. The cannabis craze. All week long, we're doing a deep dive into the marijuana industry, taking a look at the key companies at play, the risks, the opportunities for new investors, and what is next for this space. Our own Tim Seymour is the cannabis king after all. He's along a number of names, is the portfolio manager of a cannabis ETF, also sits on advisory boards for cannabis companies. You can see all the disclosures at fast.cnbc.com. But Tim, why don't you give us a lowdown on the cannabis trade as it stands right now? Sure. So let, let's look at the cannabis trade in the context, first of all, a couple charts, because I think it helps explain. And they're both uh, the aforementioned Canopy and Tilray. First, look at the chart of Canopy. First of all, those were good numbers today on a relative basis, uh, better revenue and much lower cash burn. David Klein, the new CEO, came over from Constellation Brands. Uh, I think it's done a great job and there's great leadership there. But if you look at this chart, you can see it's almost over, it's a five year chart. And it gets you from the embryonic stages of this rally all the way through to a, a blow off top when Constellation Brands came in and then a massive, massive pullback. It's been violent. And, and Tilray was probably the poster child. Maybe it wasn't really their fault. Both of these Canadian companies listed in the U.S. meant they could get all of the capital where the U.S. companies couldn't. Let's bring up the next chart, which is Cureleaf, which is, is one of the big four, uh, as we say in the U.S., uh, big four. I, I'm referring to uh, Cureleaf. I'm referring to GTI. I'm referring to Cresco Labs. And Trueleaf, we're going to have two of those CEOs Trueleaf uh, and, and uh, GTI later on in the week. But when I talk about Cureleaf, look at this chart. Over the last five months, it's up 200 uh, percent. And if you look at the charts of uh, some of the other U.S. players, and if you look at those big four in aggregate, they're up on an average, if you think of the whole group, about 40 percent, whereas the same Canadian names are down about 30 percent. The separation between the U.S. and Canada is extraordinary. So so let's keep moving. And, and what's the what's the current state of play for, for what's going on? I, I mentioned Kiralee. Look, they've closed uh, a couple important transactions. Uh, if you think about uh, some of the other big companies in the sector, I caught up with uh, Charlie uh, uh, Bechtel of, of uh Cresco Labs this morning. And one of the things we talked about was how because of COVID, but also because of groundwork they had laid, they've actually increased their production and their cultivation six times in Illinois, which is one of the most profitable states in the union. U.S. sales up 45 percent year over year. So that U.S. market, which everyone was so excited about, is actually really executing on all of those numbers. And if you think about what's changed in the last 18 months, um, I would say bad companies that were part of the first rally are out of business. I mean, companies like like MedMen, which raised a lot of money, is a company that's struggling right now. The next, uh, I think we should, let's talk about catalyst for the sector, because the most important thing right now are, are, are two things. One, uh, federal legislation may or may not be happening. When I was talking to Charlie Bechtel at Cresco Labs, he said to me, the conversation in Washington right now is going on behind doors it's never been behind before. We are going to get um, some change, but it's not critical for this industry to continue with the other catalyst, which is we're going to see all of these big four reporting in the next two weeks. It's profitability. Uh, and that's something that's really been unheard of in this industry. We're talking about cash flow positive. We're talking about EBITDA positive, And we're talking about big operators that actually are distancing themselves from the pack. So that's, that's the current lay of the land. Tim, it seems like this is closer than people realize. I think this is pretty bipartisan. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think by the November elections, we could have a much different uh, landscape for this entire industry. Does that make sense? I think it is. I think if you ask the companies themselves, they put their heads down and the good ones have operated in a challenging environment for capital markets, et cetera. But state by state, we're seeing that process and the ballot process 
more states are coming online. I think there will be federal uh, adjustments, whatever that means. And it could mean a, a myriad of things. It's a complex issue surrounding criminal justice and social issues. But yes, uh, there's good news. And you don't necessarily need a blue wave in the fall. If you got that, that would be very good for cannabis. Hi, Tim. Uh, in terms of catalysts, you talked about a couple, but do you think we would ever see more of those, those constellation-type deals that really started the frenzy in the space a couple of years ago? It's, it's a good question because I, I, you're right. That, that was part of the frenzy. You had Altria, you had Molson Coors, you had other big players. Um, and I think it's something that the strategics are waiting for federal, but they are waiting around. The most sophisticated consumer products companies in the world will be in this space. All right. Good kickoff to Cannabis Week. Again, all week long, we're taking a look at this industry. Coming up on Fast TikTok Twist, new reports that Twitter could be interested in the video sharing app. Our traders will give you their takes ahead. And coming up on Mad, Tim Kramer is sitting down with the CEO of Take Two. Do not miss that tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The latest in uh, the saga over TikTok, new reports that Twitter has held talks with the social sharing app over a potential deal. This comes after Microsoft confirmed it is in talks to buy TikTok's U.S. operations. So what could TikTok mean for Twitter? Let's get to Mike Coe, who has got the options action. Mike. Hi there, Melissa. So situations like this where you have this kind of speculation, obviously that tends to propel some options by him. And today was no different We saw more than double the average daily call volume, nearly 160,000 calls traded. Most of those were short dated, the 38s, 39, and 40 strike calls going out to August expiration, which is two weeks from this coming Friday. The buyers of those 40 calls were paying about 75 cents. That would be a bet that the stock rises by about 8.5%. But it's understandable why they're using options right now. Options prices are relatively cheap for Twitter. And also, in those instances, rarely where it's gotten above 40, it's often fallen quite sharply thereafter. So this is a way for those investors to speculate on it, but not risk a great deal. Dan, what do you make of this talk? I mean, notably, Twitter's market cap is much smaller than the valuation of TikTok. So we would need a partner in a transaction like this. Well, let me throw it out there. Maybe that partner would be Microsoft. You know, you saw Bill Gates, who's no longer a uh, board member of Microsoft, say that he called uh, TikTok a poison chalice. But maybe they put up a bunch of money and then they own a stake of Twitter and TikTok. That might make more sense from just an investment standpoint, how to deploy their capital and then have kind of a leg into this deal. Uh, Listen, I don't think a deal is going to get done for TikTok. I think they're going to do their best to kind of wait this thing out and see what happens in our elections. I am not a fan of trying to use the same tactics the Chinese use on our company's forced technology transfer to kind of get them to amend their behavior. I think there's better ways to do it. So I just don't think this deal is going to get done. All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. Breaking news out of Washington, D.C. Let's get to Elon Moy. Elon. They're coming to us. Hi, Melissa. The president was just escorted out of the White House briefing room mid-sentence as he was talking about the gains in the stock market by a Secret Service agent. We are told that the briefing room doors are now closed, but we do not know what caused the president to leave the room. Melissa, as we find out more, we'll bring it to you. Uh, The doors are closed, meaning that anybody who's inside is still inside? Uh, Meaning that the doors to the press offices inside the briefing room have been locked. 
Uh, we still do not know uh, for sure whether or not the White House is on lockdown, but we are trying to find out more information as we speak. Okay. Uh, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy uh, with the latest uh, on that evacuation of, of President Trump from the press briefing room. Um, as we get more developments, we will certainly bring them to you. Meantime, it is time for the final trade, so let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, I think the whole story around the resources trade, as we talked about earlier, to me is one that's just getting going. The dollar may have been, you know, maybe a little bit oversold in the short run, but I think the tailwind at Freeport is something you stay with. Dan Nathan. Uh, yeah, so Twitter, TikTok or not, I think it does just fine here. I think you buy this thing all the way down to the mid-30s. I think you'll see an eventual breakout above 40 in the next few months. Karen Feinerman. Yes, I'm long some Eastman Kodak puts. I agree with both what Tim and Guy said. I think it gets worse before it gets better. And the stock is still trading 500% over where it was before any of this started. So I think there's more bad news to come here. Just 500 percent? I mean, that's what a guy. Crazy. We have a situation where one plus one equals three. The one being Carter Worth, the other one being Haynes Brand. Put underwear and Carter together, you get three. HBI <laughs> continues to break out to the upside. That's some math. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.